The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. It's our fall camp preview next on this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. But there's going to be one team that's going to play solely as a team. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The team, the team, the team. Looks deep for Anthony Clark. Waits for it. Tim Clark. This is no time for that. In the pocket and a sack. Tim Jamison. Brady gets terrific. Throws it. And a touchdown night again. Schultz. Just before Brazil got him, and a leaping interception by Woodson. Harbaugh back to throw over the middle, caught by Kohler, the five on his feet, touchdown Michigan! On his way, it's good! He's 5'7", 179 pounds, a junior at Michigan, but Jamie Morris packs a wallop, and he delivers for Bo Schindler. And here's your first play, pressure coming, second. It is Glenn Steele, number 81, who fought his way through the traffic. Option. And Robinson calls his own number, and he's going to score. Oh, an easy touchdown for Robinson and Michigan. Winner. We're going to win the championship again because we're going to play as a team. And when we play as a team, and the old season is over, you and I know it's going to be Michigan again. Michigan. Welcome to another episode of Michigan Podcast. I'm Steve Dace, and fall camp gets underway this week for the Michigan Wolverines. We'll talk to our good friend Mark Rogers about that and what he is looking for from the enemy's perspective in the next segment of the program. But let's start by looking at it from the side of the good guys, shall we? I I think there are five specific questions that Michigan needs affirmative answers for. Like, I think all five of these answers need to be positives. If Michigan's going to have the kind of season we want it to have, and frankly, Jim Harbaugh needs it to have. Let's start with number one, where it always begins, because it's the most important position in all of American team sports, quarterback. So is Kate McNamara actually good, or is he just Lions good? Now, let me explain that reference for those of you that don't know. In Detroit Lions fandom, where self-loathing, of course, is a requirement when you root for a team that has gone the longest 
before or, or since winning a division title in all of American team sports, has one playoff win in, you know, something like 62 years. Self-loathing, you just reek of it. You drip of it. In fact, if you were to buy a cologne, it would be called self-loathe. All right. I mean, the Lions just force this out of you. And so one of the things that you realize when you root for such a downtrodden franchise for as long as people like me have is that your players really aren't good. They're Lions good. Meaning, I think you saw this, for example, uh, with the cornerback who left here. And he was the best corner the Lions had, which is probably why he was a pro bowler. Then he went to the Eagles and was not that good. All right. He was Lions good. Like, there's Barry Sanders, Herman Moore. Those guys are just good. And then there is Kevin Glover really that good, or is he Lions good? Okay, so is Cade McNamara McNamara a good quarterback, or is he the best quarterback Michigan has? Because those, those two things can be wholly and completely different can lead to completely different outcomes on the season and can be mutually exclusive so is Cade Mara Cade McNamara is he actually good or is he just Lions good number two how quickly can Alan Bowman pick up the offense and win over his teammates I mean you're talking about a guy who comes into this I understand different system different conference but 5,000 yards in a career is nothing to sneeze at. 30-plus touchdowns in a career, nothing to sneeze at, Um, especially when you look at the limited sample size because Bowman has more experience, but he's often been injured. So when you look at the course of his career, he's played a little more, uh, maybe a, a season and a half total in games, and those are really good numbers. 33 touchdowns, 5,000 yards. Now, this is a different offense. It's not an air raid. It is a similar dink and dunk. I'm not, I refuse to call it speed and space any longer until we actually see that, for example. But, but can he pick it up? Because in terms of body of work, the resume of Alan Bowman and Cade McNamara, McNamara just aren't even, they're not even close. Now, Cade McNamara may be a better quarterback. He may be a better prospect. Uh, you could see that Alan Bowman is the next in a long line of QBs. Pat Mahomes notwithstanding, who are simply products of the Texas Tech system, right? But there's no question he has played more football, better football, and played against better competition than Cade McNamara has. Cade McNamara has a half against Rutgers, man, Rutgers. Mop-up time in a game that Wisconsin didn't care about because they already named the score, and then played fairly mediocre, in in about a half plus against Penn State before he got hurt, yeah, it was actually earlier in the game than that, but that was a Penn State game, Penn State team that came into the game winless when Michigan played them. So, um, I I think this 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 actually could go a long way in answering the first question. That if the last thing I know we're trying this new thing now where let's be transparent, and I like it. But I'm not comfortable just flat-out handing the quarterback job to Cade McNamara based on what body of work. So is that more of an indictment of everybody else? Or has he really taken that big of a leap forward? You know, some good old-fashioned competition in the QB room I think would go a long way into helping us make sure it's the latter and, unfortunately, not the former.
Number three, can Zach Zinter play center? Now, Zinter is going to be one of the three players that will start on the offensive line week one against Western Michigan. Jim Harbaugh has been adamant about that for months. There are three guys that are going to start. He's one of them. Him, Ryan Hayes, Andrew Stuber. Those three guys are going to start. But he hasn't told us where they will start. Because there are some promising players, looking at you, Trevor Keegan, Carson Barnhart, that we would love to see get into this lineup. But, they could, but they're both guards. Well, Barnhart can play some tackle, but if Hayes and Stuber are both going to start, he's not going to be starting there. So you're looking at Barnhart as likely a guard, unless you move Stuber down there, but you get my point. Zinter is the piece that stabilizes all of this. If he can play center, we saw from Andrew Vistardis, the former walk-on yesterday, that he is, well, a former walk-on. Uh, we saw, I mean, we, not, not yesterday, but last year. He looked like a former walk-on much of last year. Uh, Reese Atterbury, not sure he's ready to play yet. Zinter has really popped. If he can play center, then there are a lot of highly recruited, talented pieces waiting in the wings in this offensive line. To get as many of them on the field as we can, we need Zinter to play center. So that would go a long way towards stabilizing the offensive line for new offensive line coach Sharon Moore. That takes us to number four. Our junior Colson, Khalil Mullings, Mozzie Smith, and DJ Turner, just to name a few, are they ready to be major contributors on defense? If this defense is going to be better than the uh, primordial ooze, I guess, is what we saw last year, the the sieve-like Swiss cheese, uh, the you got em D that we played most of last year, uh, these guys have got a flash, and, and maybe all of them. You're looking at a lack of depth at linebacker, so you need Colson and Mullings to at least both be major factors in the two deep, if not vying for starting spots. Mozzie Smith, Michigan's search for a plugger, a space eater to play an odd man front is well known. He would fit that role if he can, if he's ready to go. And then DJ Turner, so you don't have to see what um, different ways to watch Vincent Gray get burnt again this fall. So all of these guys, or at least all but one of them, I would say, maybe you don't need both Junior Colson and Khalil Mullings, but just maybe one of them. But you definitely, definitely need one of those two and Mozzie Smith and DJ Turner to show they are ready and prepared to live up to their recruiting profiles, especially Smith and Turner, who have more experience and have been here longer than both uh, Khalil Mullings and Junior Colson have been. And then finally, number five. Is all this off-season talk of a new culture just talk? So I was listening to a, a, the recent podcast with Chris Ballas and Doug Skeen for the Wolverine. And they said they didn't want to mention a player by name, but they specifically called out a tight end that they saw last year on film just taking plays off. Just flat out taking plays off. And Skeen said, you know, if that showed up on the film when I played here at Michigan, now keep in mind when when Skeen played here at Michigan, they were doing something that had never been done in Big Ten history before, winning five straight Big Ten championships. He's got five championship rings as a red shirt through his fifth-year senior season at Michigan. And he said, you know, when I was playing here for Bo and for Mo and for the assistants that were here back in those days, when we did film study, if you took plays off in a game, the coaches would stop the film study after that play 
and after pointing out you had taken plays off. And they would they would ask you in front of your teammates, what do you have to say to your teammates for why you reserved yourself the right to not give them your full effort on that play, to quit on them? And Skeen said it would be one of the most embarrassing moments you'd have as a player to be called out like that, but not for letting the program down or the coaches down, your teammates down. And it was that level of accountability that built both camaraderie, but also um, competition and meritocracy. And now Skeen says, 30 years later, and I, I was recruited by Bo Schembechler, the same coach that recruited and coached Jim Harbaugh, and so he came from the same culture I did. I'm watching guys take plays off on film, and then they're back in on the next possession. I don't understand that. See, that's the stuff that kills you, particularly this year when we have such a young team, that it's, it's, it's always of the utmost importance. It's even more paramount now that the culture stuff is for real. If this is a fake, then it really doesn't matter what the answers to the previous four questions I asked are. We're going to see another disappointing season. So we'll find out what Mark Rogers thinks about those five questions and more as Michigan heads into fall camp here next. A big thank you to our Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash Michigan podcast because you make these episodes possible with your support. And we get asked all the time, hey, we love what you guys do. How can we support you? Well, for just $5 a month, you can support us at patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. And hey, college basketball may be done, but now we're into the Major League Baseball handicapping. And we had an outstanding season in Major League Baseball last year. We had a pretty good season in college basketball this year as well, as you can see right there from something we recently posted on our Patreon page. So five $5 a month to get some pretty good sports handicapping and opportunity to win some money like when we recommended you take before the tournament Baylor 6 to 1 to win the national championship you saw that thing pay off right well your $5 a month pays off when you support us at patreon.com/michigan podcast Time now for the 10-Minute War, which means we bring in our good friend and perhaps the one and only reasonable Ohio State fan, Mark Rogers, who himself has a fantastic channel right here on YouTube. Mark Rogers, the voice of college football. Good to see you again, my friend. How are you? I am doing fine, Steve. I'm still looking for that opportunity to debunk that uh, title as the reasonable Ohio State fan. Well, I think we'll get there at some point, maybe this season. That is exactly what I am afraid of, brother. So let's get to it. Michigan uh, opening up uh, fall camp on Friday. The rest of the Big Ten will all be opened up at some point this week. And and I laid out to start off the show here this week five questions, and I think Michigan needs affirmative answers to all five uh, in order to avoid uh, the, the kind of season no one wants to have, the kind of season we Michigan fans want to have, and frankly Jim Harbaugh needs. There's one of those in particular I want to start off with zeroing in on and get your perspective on, because I shared an anecdote that I recently heard on the podcast with Chris Ballas from the Wolverine with former all Big Ten Michigan offensive lineman Doug Skeen, who, by the way, is a national treasure. And Skeen was talking about it just blew his mind watching film last year, and he didn't want to call the player out by name, but he gave the position. (laughs) All right. So there's only a handful, only a few guys playing tight end, and that was the position. He said it just blew his mind watching film of games last year and just watching a certain tight end just take plays off. 
And then he'd be right back in the lineup, like the next player, the next series. He said, you know, when I played at Michigan and I was recruited and originally played for the same head coach, Bo Beckler, that Jim Harbaugh was recruited and played for. So I know the culture that he was recruited into because I was recruited into the same one. And all five years I played at Michigan, we won Big Ten championships. And all five years I played there. If we did a film session and you were caught taking plays off, the coaches in front of the entire team would stop the session. They would then go to you specifically and say, please enlighten the rest of your teammates why you reserved yourself the right to let them down by taking that play off. And then we'll wait. And that this wasn't about you let the program down or you let the coaches down. You let your brothers down. And he said the level of integrity and camaraderie and competitiveness that that instilled on a cultural level, he goes, you just watched film of Michigan, particularly last year, you just did not see that. When you hear that from the other side of the fence, what's your reaction to that, Mark? Well, my reaction is that uh, nobody knows better than the other players on the field as to how much they can trust their brothers, uh, the other guys on the field. Uh, Sure, you could take a play off and maybe get away with it, but if you're taking plays off during the game when it matters, I'm sure he's taking plays off this particular tight end during practice uh, while other guys are out there busting their butt. So it's just a breakdown in culture, which I believe begins with trust. I don't think you have any kind of culture if you don't have trust. Uh, and then you also have to have some level of competency. Uh, so if, if whether it's between from player to player or player to coaching staff, the, you have to believe that that the guy next to you is capable of carrying out the assignment, whether that's a coach, that he's comp- competent, he's knowledgeable, he knows what he's doing, or that's a player next to you who's going to be uh, hardworking and put forth the effort, but also has a level of talent that matches what is supposed to be produced at that school. And then beyond that, uh, the trust. Can you trust what they say? Can you trust that they're going to do what they say they're going to do? And I think those are pretty much the two biggest factors in any in any culture um, regarding athletics in particular, but anywhere is the trust factor and then the competency factor. When you hear about stuff like that happening at a program of Michigan stature with the head coach who both played and coached, who, who both played here and now coaches here, but played here at a time that the program was among four or five you know, set apart programs in the rest of the country as the elite of the elite. And you wonder why heading into year seven, you're still having conversations and discussions about stuff like that. What do you say to that? It reminds me of what I heard Jim Mora talk about when he took over UCLA in that there were players that just would decide on a particular day to miss practice at a major college football program. Like I couldn't imagine that happening in junior high or high school uh, where I participated, a player just after school deciding I'm not going to football practice and heading home on the bus. That like didn't happen. And that's happening at UCLA. So I, I think that maybe at times I believe that these programs are on a more even plane or operating on the same level uh, more so than maybe they really are and that there are issues to to that degree at a place like Michigan. And then for that to be, that's supposed to be something that the new head coach is cleaning up from the previous regime. And then you give that 
year, two years of buffer to weed out the bad seed and to get rid of it and to move on from there and to clean it up. But when that has become the culture after six or seven years, then, man, that's going to lead to uh, what you have predicted. And that's uh, the end of the Jim Harbaugh era, I would think. So we've we've seen coaches attempt to do this before when they when the culture or the program is kind of leveled off or the culture has kind of uh, begun to exhibit some form of diminishment. And a lot of times it will be a massive reshuffling of the coaching staff. I can think of a couple that worked. Bob Stoops did it at Oklahoma, not quite to the level we have, but they did quite a, a reshuffling there. And that's where Lincoln Riley came in. Obviously, that was a tremendous success. I think of Brian Kelly after the 4-8 and eight season of 2016. And the next year, I think they won nine games. And then the year after that, they were in the playoff. And it's completely reestablished his program, so it's worked out great. Most of the time, though, when, when programs do this, it is a precursor to we'll be making a head coaching change next year as well. So as a guy that follows this sport as closely as anybody I know does, what are your signs for whether you think this thing is actually self-correcting or whistling past the graveyard? And are those things that you probably just won't see or hear about in camp? And you just have to wait until adversity strikes during the year when the games count. What's your, how do you respond to that? It's almost like our discussion going back a week to um, reviewing Jim Harbaugh's performance at Big Ten Media Days. When you're not there, when you don't know firsthand what's going on, you have to go with logic. You've got to go with probabilities. And you just stated the probabilities of the situation, which for me are that people don't change, especially 50-year-olds do not change generally. Yes, there are enlightenment phases for some people out there that uh, something has to drastically happen. Uh, sometimes divine intervention has to take place. Uh, this is a football circumstance, so we're not going to go to that level. And we're going to say that Jim Harbaugh is the man that arrived at Michigan, uh, but maybe a little bit... Uh, declined from that version of a Jim Harbaugh. So I cannot in any way imagine, and I might be wrong, and the Michigan fans are going to hope that I'm wrong, that I expect that these changes are going to be the type changes that are going to be permanent, that are going to be anything substantial or substantive that are beyond just a feel-good, reset, hey, it's like how many times do we see the gyms flooded after the first of the year, because people are resetting to be a different person. And those people are nowhere to be found in March. And so I'm going to go with my evaluation of human nature, of probabilities, and that um, Jim Harbaugh is a good football coach that under certain circumstances previously had the drive, had the energy, and probably had some things go his way that he was able to turn around a, a program or a situation but after six years at Michigan, he's proven that they're going to win their share of games, but it's not going to be anywhere close to the Michigan standard. In a way, though, ultimately, it doesn't really matter what you and I think. It matters what those players think, right? And what the, the discernment or what attracts or what motivates 19, 20, 21-year-old men is a little bit different than guys our age, right? And so it, it really comes down to do they buy into it? Really, right? Do they? Because if they do, then 
then you end up with, um, you know, something that is infectious the other way. So what gives me some hope for the Michigan fan here is what Jim Harbaugh said last week about Mike McDonald. Well, first of all, we know that this guy succeeded in the NFL. So there's there's a level of competency right there. And then again, we both agreed that Jim Harbaugh was more detailed, specific than at almost any other time in a insightful way. And so if Mike McDonald getting a little bit more to the football and the culture at the same time, but a little bit more to the football in fixing a defense that had been good, but we know what the limitations were under Don Brown, I think that Jim Harbaugh was was speaking to his players and speaking of Mike McDonald, but also taking a shot at Don Brown because of his inability or his stubbornness and not changing the defense and altering the defense against certain teams in certain situations where Jim Harbaugh made was adamant about Mike McDonald's ability to look at situations, to look at players, to see what they do well, what they don't do well, and to be a guy who is able to, to, to make the changes in the scheme and in the role for the particular player that is going to maximize the defensive efficiency. So the word around Ann Arbor is that when Ryan Day came in as OC of Ohio State, he figured out how to crack the code of Don Brown's defense when he realized this thing is so simple that if I just put a tight end in motion, I can pretty much gauge from the sideline what Michigan's going to do defensively on every snap. And there's talk that Ohio State actually knew what Michigan's signals were on defense. So they literally knew what play was coming or what alignment Michigan was in before they even tried to disguise something. Are you buying any of that from an Ohio State perspective? I tend to buy it because as soon as you set up a situation like that, I think of the 2003 Super Bowl, the Oakland Raiders and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and we know John Gruden left Oakland, went to Tampa Bay. Uh, there was so much known about that, that he in developing quarterbacks knew about Rich Gannon, knew about the system that he implemented at Oakland, knew that uh, – uh, Bill Callahan was not necessarily the brightest coach in the world in certain aspects to be able to change that system and that they were running his offense. And we know what the result was. Four interceptions, two pick sixes. They just knew exactly what was coming. We also know that Ohio State is the most talented offense that Michigan faces most seasons. But the degree of the productivity the last two times out has been through the roof in comparison to the gap between those two teams and what should have been on the field uh, and on the scoreboard and in the yardage uh, statistics between an Ohio State offense and a Michigan defense. So I can believe that. It seemed as it seemed as simple as Ohio State just running crossing routes uh, that they were able to um, to outflank the Michigan defense and just get in space and make it just a pitch and catch game. And we saw the result of that. So uh, I can believe that I can, I can believe that based again on what the Michigan defense was able to do against everybody else, knowing that they were playing the most talented offense, but seeing that productivity just, just go through the roof uh, twice in a row. All right. So within the next couple of weeks, 
let's wrap it up with this. The Big Ten Network will be undergoing its fall camp tour. And, of course, you know if you've been watching this, and, and I think this is one of the coolest things they've done from the very beginning of the channel, but also understand that you're going to get essentially a glorified sports information director take on this. Now, in recent years, Jerry DiNardo has gotten a little bit more direct and pointed uh, in some of his observations. I recall, uh, I think it was, what was it, uh, 2018 when Wisconsin, I think, was, uh, or 2017 preseason, no, 2018, was preseason number four after they had that great 13-win team. And DiNardo came out of Wisconsin camp and said, you know, I don't like, this doesn't, kind of feels like a team that's, you know, read a lot of press clippings last year. I just didn't sense the same edge, eye of the tiger. And then Wisconsin went out that year and had, by their standards, a disappointing season. So Jerry's been a little bit more pointed in his comments in recent years, but overall, they're going to try to put a positive spin on everything they can, okay? So you got to kind of look for little code words or phrases. When, when when, When they visit Michigan's camp, and then they do their special on it that night. What are you going to be looking for? Well, I will add to the code words uh, or to the the positive spin. I will add a, a very generic take. Uh, if we could, if we could, if we could chronicle the the terminology that's used to describe team after team after team, I think you can take a blueprint of Illinois and lay it down on the Purdue, and then lay it down on the Minnesota. Anyway. Uh, I will stop bashing the Big Ten Network's approach to uh, its commentary on these teams and its uh, camp visits. Uh, the code words for Michigan, I think, is uh, there, there's going to be a level of, uh, you know, there was a comment made to my channel yesterday about uh, the Michigan football crowd. And, and and it was always my thought that unless there was something extremely ex- to be excited about, that that at times could be, the, the quietest 112,000 people that you could find in one gathering anywhere on, on mm-hmm. planet Earth. And, and I almost feel like that either it was feeding off the team or the team was feeding off of that. But it's a very briefcase-type program to a, in certain ways, and that's one. I don't see it as a very energized team uh, on most occasions, but... Uh, I've never been there for practice, of course, but I got to think that that's one thing. That the energy be, level. Yeah. Yeah. The energy level of this football team and in seeing some true confidence uh, and, and, and. I mean, we saw this last year. They would literally come out of there. the locker room and stroll out of the locker room, like stroll, you know, and I get it. The fans aren't there and, you know, the band isn't there. I, I get all of that, but. It wasn't there for Indiana either. You know what I mean? And they had like their best season in 30 years. So I, I get it. That is, on an internal level, can they produce their own energy? Because here's the thing. The fans are going to turn at the first sign of adversity because they're that, they're that disillusioned right now. And so you're, if you're a Michigan football program, you cannot count on your fans lifting you up until you first give them a reason to. You know what I'm saying? Like... They're going to be generally excited and supportive and everything else, but at the first sign of adversity, the mood's going to be, seen this one before, no it ends, here we go again. So the, the, this is where the, the team, you're right, they do have to show on an internal level, can they generate some energy and excitement? And I'm not even the guy that typically is the one that looks at that. I, I, I think that that's typically overplayed, but I think for this team, mm-hmm. in this situation, that matters and that's going to be some insight that we need to, to hear about. And, and and also, 
It's just strange to me, a guy that, again, I, I try to take the numbers, the metrics, and all of that and not just lay it out there but put some context to it because it should give you the story if you really look at it. And for a Michigan team that's basically been disappointing for six games, it was a half a season last year, uh, this COVID uh, pandemic season and just the offseason leading into that season and then the one that's followed – has just been more damaging to this program than it should have been for a team that simply went from winning nine and 10 games a year to a two and four season and on to a 2021 season that's supposed to be played in its to its uh, completion. It's just odd that six games, so it hasn't been the six games, it's been this entire narrative of Michigan football for the past year and a half that they've got to get past, but it's, it's odd to me that it's really only played on a field for six games. Mark, great stuff, man. We'll do it again soon. All right, take care. Thanks. You bet. We'll come back and wrap things up here in just a moment. A big thank you to our Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash Michigan podcast because you make these episodes possible with your support. And we get asked all the time, hey, we love what you guys do. How can we support you? Well, for just $5 a month, you can support us at patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. And hey, college basketball may be done, but now we're into the Major League Baseball handicapping. And we had an outstanding season in Major League Baseball last year. We had a pretty good season in college basketball this year as well, as you can see right there from something we recently posted on our Patreon page. So five $5 a month to get some pretty good sports handicapping and opportunity to win some money like when we recommended you take before the tournament Baylor 6 to 1 to win the national championship you saw that thing pay off right well your $5 a month pays off when you support us at patreon.com/michiganpodcast This week's Twitter poll results we asked you with fall practice slated to start this week are you now more optimistic about the football team's prospects this fall, even less so, or the same? 51.6% of you said you have the same thoughts you had beforehand or all off-season long. 19.4% of you said, yeah, I'm, I'm sipping some Kool-Aid now that kickoff is nigh. And 29% of you, wow, said that you're even less optimistic than you were before. And considering... This is the lowest amount of buzz for a Michigan football season in modern memory. I would argue since before Bo Schembechler arrived and maybe earlier than that. I mean, I don't know. At least you had All-American running back Ron Johnson, right? So um, the 2014 season that was so disastrous, that wasn't expected to be a disaster. That kind of blindsided people. And then at least in 2010, uh, Rich Rod's third year, you had you know a full season of excitement of what could Denard Robinson do. The previous year in 2009, there was a lot of excitement about, hey, who's this Tate Forcier guy? In 2008, there was excitement about the new head coach. So I, I just don't recall, at least since before Bo's arrival, uh, less excitement about a Michigan football season or hype than we have right now. And so for almost a third of you to say you have even less hype now that it's here, than you did during the offseason is a yikes. That brings us to our feedback of the week, courtesy of Spencer for Hire. Let's talk a little hoops, shall we? He says, hey, the Pistons picking Isaiah Livers surprised me. They're usually not that smart. It was a pleasant surprise. It was a pleasant surprise. I love what the Pistons did. Uh, I just think Cade McNamara, Cade McNamara, Cade Cunningham is a Grant Hill type of a player. 
uh, a six seven six eight point guard. Um, I think he's devastating driving to the hoop. Now you're putting some shooters around him. Don't sleep on Luca Garza. We anticipate he won't guard be able to guard anybody in the NBA. But that dude is nearly seven feet, and he's an elite level shooter. Duncan Robinson just got paid ninety million dollars for being six eight six seven an elite level shooter. So I like what the Pistons are doing. I think the last two drafts have been really good. And I think the livers pick what livers does two things at an elite level, shoot the ball and defend. If you can do those two things, you can play in the NBA. No question about it. So that'll do it for this week's episode of Michigan podcast. Don't forget, please like rate, follow, subscribe, share five-star review, whether that's iTunes, YouTube, Stitcher, Google play, however you access this program, every episode, please do that. If you haven't done so already, let every Michigan fan, you know, you you know, know about what we do here on Michigan podcast, and then follow us on Twitter at Michigan podcast. Keep up to date in between episodes on what if we think about all things maize and blue? Until the next time, I'm Steve Dace. Go blue. At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.